Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. On today's show, the final stretch of the 2022 midterms has begun, but it's still Trump versus Biden on the campaign trail. And joining us later is the Democratic candidate with maybe the best chance to flip a Senate seat, Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Exciting. Exciting. I'm excited. Um, Did you hear me knocking on wood when you said best chance? Uh, yeah, best best chance of, I was saying, of any other Democratic, uh, in, in any other yeah, state. <laughs> All right, come on, people. Also, I think Mandela Barnes has a very good chance, too. But I think if you're looking at numbers, you know, Pennsylvania, you're probably the best chance. Is what I'm we, we, this is this is a numbers free podcast. We're all vibes. <laughs> um, if you are not caffeinated enough, we got a coffee sale for you now through this weekend. Get free shipping when you spend thirty five dollars or more on Crooked Coffee. Use code Fuel Up at checkout when you head to crooked.com slash coffee. That's the code, Dan. It's Fuel Up. I know you're wondering about that. Do you know I was at, you know I was at the White House yesterday for this? Oh uh, yeah, no, I know. Building. I know you were at the White House. And many Sorry. people asked me about many people asked me about you because you obviously could not attend for a work obligation. Yes, um we were and I just told everyone that here. I just told I just told everyone that you were a coffee salesman now, an online barista. I can't believe you ignore the shoes that we're moving. <laughs> ignore Very them quickly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Also, check out Cricket's newest show Dare We Say. This week, the hosts explore the ongoing erosion of the separation between church and state and what this shift means for their Gen Z peers and their futures. New episodes of Dare We Say drop every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, Dan, get ready. The Wilderness is back. Uh, The trailer for season three is out today. The first episode is out Monday. Uh, I talked to Biden voters in Virginia, Pittsburgh, Orange County, Las Vegas, and Atlanta who haven't yet made up their minds about the midterms. And then I sat down with some of the smartest people in politics to talk about these focus groups and get their thoughts on how Democrats can reassemble the 2020 coalition for uh, the 2022 midterms and beyond. Uh, Everyone should take a listen. You'll be surprised, might be a little frustrated, but hopefully you'll be energized and hopeful. That's what I'm going for. It may be late for this, but had you considered <laughs> as a title for this season, Return to the Wilderness? Question mark. You know, Dan, <laughs> it's sort of how I start episode one. <laughs> yeah, You're on my way. It's weird I don't get invited to more uh, branding meetings at Crooked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, check out the trailer. Subscribe. Uh, you'll hear the first episode on Monday. Okay, let's get to the news. Labor Day is the traditional kickoff to the final stretch of any campaign. Uh, And even though we're heading into 2022, the conversation this week has been dominated by Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who just held dueling speeches in Pennsylvania. Um, One of the judges Trump appointed also granted his request for a special master to review all the documents the FBI found in his beach house, uh, which will have the effect of temporarily pausing the investigation into the 2024 Republican frontrunner, who according to a new Washington Post story this week, had been hiding highly classified information about a foreign government's nuclear weapons program in Mar-a-Lago, as well as documents so secret that only the president and a few cabinet members could authorize other government officials to know about them. Uh, Naturally, Trump is doing what any good strategist or lawyer would tell a candidate to do who's under criminal investigation for stealing nuclear secrets, He's making it part of his stump speech. Let's take a listen. The FBI and the Justice Department have become vicious monsters. It was not just my home. 
that was raided last month. It was the hopes and dreams of every citizen who I've been fighting for since the moment I came down the golden escalator. The Mar-a-Lago raid was a desperate effort to distract from Joe Biden's record of misery and failure. As you know, this week, Joe Biden came to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to give the most vicious, hateful, and divisive speech ever delivered by an American president, vilifying 75 million citizens as threats to democracy and as enemies of the state. You're all enemies of the state. He's an enemy of the state. You want to know the truth? The FBI didn't just raid his home, Dan. They raided your hopes and dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I love that part. Just terrible (laughs) speech writing. Um, All right. Lots to unpack there. Let's start with Judge Eileen Cannon's decision to stop the investigation until a special master can look through all the documents they found in Mar-a-Lago and separate the uh, the nuclear secrets Trump stole from his his old porn stash. <laughs> what, do you, like what 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 the fuck? What are they going to do? What what do they look What do you make of the ruling? What happens now? Well, as we have stipulated Every episode since we got really deep into Trump's crimes mm-hmm. over the last month here. So, so we, we are not amateur lawyers. Yeah, we are not lawyers. Right. We but we do follow a lot of lawyers on Twitter. Yeah. So I feel like I can speak with some authority on this matter. Let me tell you, they are outraged. Yes. And some of your favorite Twitter lawyers think this ruling is bullshit, including new attorney general of resistance nation, Bill Barr, who thinks it's absurd. <laughs> He called it a crock of shit. Bill Barr called it a crock of shit, this ruling. That's what you need to know. Resistance he really... hero Bill Barr. Get your bobblehead doll. Get your vote of candle with Bill Barr on it. <laughs> Just, I mean, we, we got a Mueller doll. We got a Christopher Ray doll. We got a Bill Barr doll. We got a Eric Hirschman doll. All right. Anywho, I mean, this, you don't really even have to be a lawyer or even follow top lawyers on Twitter to understand why this ruling is idiocy, because one of the main, you can can have a huge debate about whether executive privilege, which is the reason for the special master, the special master is going to go through these documents and see which might be subject to executive privilege. Now it's worth stipulating that executive privilege has never applied to former presidents. It certainly doesn't apply to documents moving within the executive branch, which is where the FBI and department of justice is. But what? But there's like a factual, a massive factual error of this ruling where it says that President Biden did not weigh in because if the sitting president makes determinations on executive privilege because they are the executive, not the fucking Yahoo in the beach house, uh, whether he had not weighed in on whether executive privilege could be claimed here. But he did in the letter from the archivist that what that Trump's team foolishly, weirdly released last month. And so with, this is just a bunch of idiocy. The, the impact of this is everyone has sort of written is that this will delay but not necessarily derail the investigation. But the delay does matter because if it kicks it down the curb for a long time, you're going to be put in a position where the context in which a potential indictment could be announced is in the middle of a presidential campaign, which it should not be more complicated. There is no special provision in the law that says if you're running for president, you can't go to jail for crimes you committed. But as we know, everything is political, and that will add to some of the complications of such an announcement if that were to happen. Our, our boy Billy Barr uh, has said he's he's like pretty certain this would be overturned because like the, 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 to just know how crazy the executive uh, the executive privilege ruling is here the ruling about executive privilege there is some dispute over like 
whether former presidents can ever have a claim of executive privilege. But the ruling that that's the Supreme Court ruling that's based on took place before the Presidential Records Act was passed into law. The Presidential Records Act makes very, very clear what you just said, which is that the current president gets to decide (laughs) what documents are privileged or not, not the former president. So now if you get a special master, first of all, you to, to find a special master, you have to have both sides agree on candidates to be this person. The person has to be classified at the highest level in order to even see some of these documents. And then this person has to make some determination about which documents are privileged and which aren't, even though the law does not spell that out at all, because the law says that nothing's privileged because Joe Biden gets to make the privilege and make the decision on privilege. So it's like preposterous. So the 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 government, the DOJ has an has an, is an option. They either go down this route trying to find a special master with all those qualifications who can do that, which seems very, very difficult. But they, I guess they have to this Friday, both sides to come up with a list of special potential special master candidates they agree on. Or the DOJ appeals this ruling to the 11th Circuit. Um, now, the issue there is the 11th Circuit has um, 11 judges, six are Trump appointed judges and five, five are not. But people like you, like even, you know, very conservative people like Bill Barr think that even though there are other Trump judges on this on this 11th Circuit court, there's no way they would uphold this. We'll see. There's an interesting story in The New York Times today about the dilemma the Justice Department has, yeah. which is I think they believe on the merits they would win this and win it easily. But there are two challenges to an appeal. One it further delays the special master issue. And there is a concern that you could just get a run of Trump judges running up to the Trump Supreme Court, which could create an entirely absurd new expansion of executive power to include former presidents. And so there's there's a potential challenge to this. So like they really have, even if they are 100% right on the merits, there are timing and larger issues beyond Trump they have to wrestle with as they make this decision. But it seems like they're going to they're gonna have to appeal because even if they don't want to criminally charge Trump, the national intelligence assessment of the damage and the fallout from Trump having these secrets can't even continue. The judge said it technically can continue, but in all reality, like you can't do a fair assessment of this if like the DOJ and the FBI can't be involved in looking at the documents and help with the investigation into what damage has been done from Trump holding these documents. Like it's not, there's, there's, they're trying to build a fake wall between the intelligence officials and the justice department officials and saying that the intelligence officials can keep going with the investigation, but the justice department can't. But in reality, that doesn't work. So like if they want to do this assessment, which they have to for national security reasons, they're going to have to appeal this. It's so, the whole thing is so stupid. Like the, the fact so that we're stupid. in this place is so dumb. It has nothing to do with it. He, the point is they're not his documents. No one has ever suggested there's documents. There's no precedent they're his documents. He took them. He wasn't supposed to. He lied about it. He obstructed the investigation. And because Mitch McConnell ran through some fucking Yahoo to sit at the court of Mar-a-Lago, we're in this position where Trump is once again using the tyranny of the political minority to avoid criminal prosecution. Good argument for fighting pretty hard to keep the Senate. Because even even if Democrats lose the House, if we keep the Senate, Joe Biden can keep nominating and confirming judges. (laughs) So we don't have more fucking Trump judges who do Yahoo rulings like this. Anyway, so you heard Trump at the rally. He said that this raid was a uh, distraction from Joe Biden's failures and called law enforcement officers vicious monsters who didn't just raid his home. Again, 
but rated the hopes and dreams of every citizen he's been fighting for. You think that defense works with anyone who's uh, not a diehard Trump supporter? Do I find it ironic that the Blue Lives Matter crowd are the ones who are accusing federal law enforcement agents of being enemies of the state who are planning evidence on a former president and are apparatchiks in Joe Biden's political army? Yeah, I find that ironic. Do I think this is going to be particularly persuasive for the plurality of Americans who think Donald Trump is uh, dangerous and unfit for office? No. But it is an argument with political power because modern conservatism, particularly Donald Trump's amped up version of it, depends on the propagation of a conspiratorial, apocalyptic victimization, right? Everyone's coming after us, which because what that does is it creates permission structure to do anything and everything. Suppress votes, steal elections, seize the electoral apparatus, political violence. And so this is like this is something worth paying attention to. He is trying to create a sense of grievance and victimization among his, among his base to get them to turn out. I don't think it's moving anyone from the Trump camp to the non-Trump camp or the non-Trump camp to the Trump camp. But Donald Trump is, has really understood from the beginning that his political power is tied to just how fired up his base is, which is a minority of Republicans. And if they're fired up and they're amped up, then every other Republican has to bend the knee. And so there is like this, this will, this message will protect him within the party. And that's the first step to protecting him more broadly. Yeah. It doesn't enlarge the base, but it further radicalizes the base, which is quite dangerous at this point. It's just so ridiculous though. Like I realize that that's the, that's the demagogue authoritarian move that it's, that's not, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, you know, but it's just so funny. It's like, yeah, people think it's a raid on their beach house. (laughs) <laughs> it's <laughs> who among us hasn't left intel on chinese nuclear submarines lying around on a lounge chair <laughs> if that can if that can happen to him it can happen to anyone <laughs> i mean it is just sort of wild if you just sort of think about it you back up which is the fbi raided the home of the former president he is under multiple criminal investigations in fact between when you and I spoke this morning and the recording of this podcast, another criminal investigation dropped. Yeah. He's now, there's now like federal grand jury investigating his super PAC for fraud or fundraising scams or whatever else. And yet at that moment, every Republican on the ballot ran to stand next to him in Pennsylvania. That's insane. Like if you like, it makes sense in this moment, but if you were to like try to explain this 10 years ago or 10 years from now, it'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Well, it has been fun listening to uh, Republican candidates try to defend Trump's theft of highly classified nuclear secrets. Uh, Here's an answer from the guy who once said that Donald Trump can't be trusted with the nuclear codes. A storage argument that they're making, right? They're arguing there are documents there. They don't deny that he should have access to those documents. What they deny is that they were not properly stored. I don't think a fight over storage of documents is worthy of what they've done. Dan, how many politicos would you give Marco Rubio for uh, his take that it's just a storage issue. This is a storage issue. Somewhere between four and 500 would be my <laughs> answer. I mean, this is a euphemism for the century. Calling the theft of classified documents being stored in an unlocked desk drawer a document storage issue would be like calling bank robbery an overly aggressive financial transaction. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> I misplaced I some funds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, and also, I don't even want to get into the butter emails of it all. But like, Hillary Clinton turned out didn't have any classified emails <laughs> after all that. After all, after the determination that maybe it was sloppy and this and the server, all that, no classified emails on her. This guy has fucking nuclear secrets in his beach house. <laughs> Unfucking real. All right. I do want to talk about the broader midterm context here. In that clip we played earlier, uh, we also heard Trump talk about Biden's speech in Philadelphia, uh, where he accused the president of vilifying millions of citizens as enemies of the state. Here's a clip from Biden's speech. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. All right. There was an interminable amount of debate about this speech that I'd rather not rehash for our poor listeners. I, I felt... Grateful we didn't have a pod <laughs> earlier in the week, so we didn't have to uh, talk about the fresh takes on this speech. But like, let's just let's let's go to this question: What do you think the White House strategy was with this speech? Primetime speech, big speech. He goes to Philadelphia. Why do you think they did it? There has been over the course of the last I don't know, six or so months this sort of debate among Democratic operatives, pundits, campaign folks about what the fall message should be about. Should it be about what Democrats have delivered? What have we done? Should it be about kitchen table issues? Should it be about January 6th or something else? And I think by giving this speech, which is to a call to make this election a referendum on Republican extremism, the White House, Joe Biden in the White House sent a message to every Democrat, every command, and frankly, every reporter covering these campaigns, what this should be about, that they see the central issue here to be the extremism of MAGA Republicans. And it is like, this is like what the White House can do to help enforce some sort of message cohesion among the party is to give a big speech, give it in prime time, get a lot of attention and hope that everyone follows. And so I think that's what the goal was here is to lay their cards down for what they think the best message is for the fall. And we see there's a new Navigator poll out today, which in, there's an, also a new uh, Reuters poll, which both show the power of this extremism argument and the willingness of a majority of voters to believe that Republicans are dangerous extremists. Yeah, the Reuters poll uh, today is taken after in the days after Biden's speech. Um, it's interesting. 58% in the polls say that Trump's Make America Great Again movement is threatening America's democratic foundations. That includes 25% of Republicans. Some of you are probably thinking only 25%. Oh, that's pretty good. 60% uh, of Republicans don't think Trump's MAGA movement represents the majority of the party, which I thought was interesting. But then 59% said Biden's speech will further divide the country, though half said that they didn't watch or follow the speech at all. 
which I think <laughs> those numbers, those sort of conflicting, seemingly conflicting numbers kind of say it all. But like, do you think Biden's speech should be the basis for the Democratic midterm message? I do. I think we have an overwhelming political and frankly, moral obligation to turn all of our firepower on focusing on the dangers of this Republican Party. And it's not just dangers to democracy and extremism in these vague ways. It is abortion. It is attacking uh, marriage equality, attacking trans people, book bans, privatizing Social Security, overturning elections, all of it. And I think that, you know, that we've talked a lot about how the the Dobbs decision has sort of um, catalyzed democratic movement. It's, you know, we've seen these stories about people getting fired up and all, and people were answering to vote. We saw what happened in Kansas and then the New York special election with Pat Ryan, whom you guys talked to last week. But ultimately what the, I think the Dobbs decision did is it crystallized the impact of Republican extremism. And if you can convince, and I think what is important to us is that we use, is that abortion is an absolutely central issue in this race, but it is a, it is a, gateway issue into a broader conversation of Republican extremism. Because if you can convince someone that, or even not even convince, but inform voters that these Republicans have these incredibly extreme positions on abortion, that they want, want to ban it in cases, cases of rape and incest and life of the mother, that they're going to start attacking IVF and all of these other things, if you people understand that, then they are more likely to believe, and this is correctly believed, that these same Republicans will overthrow elections, they will attack marriage equality. They will eliminate Social Security. They will do all of these things. And so I believe that, that, that I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, but there is a very, very dangerous strain in this country right now. And we have to call that out. And there is no political downside in doing it. And there's a whole heck of a lot of political upside in, in it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. No, interesting. We're, we're, we're off script. Do you think, because <laughs> I've thought about this a lot, do you think that anyone who watched that speech who uh, wasn't already voting for Democrats would be convinced to vote for Democrats based on that speech? I I think that we, that is a over, maybe. I don't, the speech is the speech. Right. Not that many people watch the speech. The overwhelming amount of people are cons, who consume the speech are going to be consuming it in just the conversation around it. Most of our target voters will consume neither the speech nor the conversation. And so what it's the tail effects of the message. It's what the various campaigns like John Fetterman, who we're going to talk to in a little bit, put in their messaging, in their paid messaging. Mm. That is what is going to matter. It's like, no, there are no undecided voters watching live primetime speeches other than in moments of extreme national crisis. Right. So that like that, that I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's also, that is, a, I think we're, it's an overly narrow view of politics to be like, Hey, I'm a I'm definitely voting, and I'm trying to decide between voting for Dr. Oz or John Fetterman. What role is the speech going to play? The other question to look at is what does that speech in that in that broader message do to turn out more people who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 who would otherwise sit out these midterms out of complacency or lack of political engagement? Like that that is how to think about. It, I think more than persuading a a narrow swath of voters. Not that those, those voters aren't going to matter, but we really just have to keep people in our camp more than take people who voted for Trump and move them to our camp in order to hold the house and keep us out. Yeah. So that I completely agree with. I also agree that the, with the general strategy of making the 2022 midterms, a referendum on Republican extremism, I think that's correct. I think that 
the headlines out of that speech, because the media is annoying, but also predictable, is like, you know, Biden draws line in the sand. It's it's, you know, Biden versus MAGA. And, you know, here's Dark Brandon and all that bullshit. I would in a Democratic message, if I was running a Democratic campaign, I do think I would try to separate. We talked about this before the speech, sort of separate MAGA from Republicans writ large. I think that's useful. But you heard Biden try to do that in the in, he did do that in the clip that we yeah. played. He specifically said not all Republicans are MAGA Republicans. I think it would help to be more specific and talk about MAGA politicians so that it's clear you're not trying to talk about voters or guess who, what voters might do. Are there a whole bunch of people in this country who are part of the MAGA movement? Some of them stormed the fucking Capitol on January 6th? Yeah, absolutely. But if you're a politician, if you're running in one of these races and you are trying to get voters to choose between uh, you and a MAGA politician, you want to focus all of your attacks possible on the politician themselves. And to the extent that you're talking about Republican extremism or MAGA extremism, you want to be, I think, as specific as possible about how that extremism is going to affect your life. And, and you were just saying that, right? So you have to be explicit about the abortion bans, explicit about the fact that they over, want to overturn elections, explicit about the fact that they're going to privatize Social Security. So all the things, all the freedoms that they're going to take away, all the policies that they're going to put into place, all the votes that they've taken in the past, you have to be extremely specific about what they are for people and get that message out. And I'm just saying this because like having... Having talked to all these voters <laughs> for the for the wilderness, like I was struck by so these were all Biden voters, right? But they haven't made up their minds. So these were not people who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. This is part of our coalition. And um there was not a lot of love for the Republican Party <laughs> from these people. And a lot of them thought that the Republicans were pretty extreme. There was a lot of disgust with politics, a lot of disappointment about politics, and a lot of eh feeling about Democrats in general, though it's funny because we're about to talk to Fetterman and they all in Penn, in Pittsburgh, they all loved Fetterman. But what the people who are making up their minds, not just about whether to vote for a Democrat versus a Republican, but whether to vote at all, wanted to know what are Democrats going to do for me? What is it that Republican, the Republican candidate is going to do that, that that Republican candidate stands for that is so bad? I don't really pay much attention to the news. I do feel like politics is very divisive and everyone's yelling at each other. And the Republicans seem kind of crazy, but like, I don't know, why do I need to go vote at all? And so it is, I'm not saying that the White House could have solved that challenge in one speech that you're right, most of these voters probably did not watch. But I wonder as we move forward, and as Democratic candidates craft their own message, just like how specific they have to be. And like, here's the politician. Here's the bad things they're going to do to you. And here's what I'm going to do instead. So two points on this. Yeah, I, I agree with the general thrust here. I, I think even if Biden had said exactly what you wanted him to say, like was super specific, like repeated that distinction 100 times, the press coverage would look 95% the same. I agree. And Republicans would have said 95% the same thing. But the two points here are one, like your mileage may vary on whether you want to light Independence Hall blood red um, for your speech. Like, but what is true and important is controversy and conflict are what drive conversation in this media age. Most of Biden's speeches are neither controversial nor contain a lot of conflict. Mm. And therefore they have driven very little conversation. Here we are one week later. 
talking about a Biden speech delivered on, yes, it was in prime time, but it was on the Thursday before Labor Day in a heat wave, right? And and so he achieved something is that he is dominating the conversation. And that always comes with downside because if you're in a conversation, there are two sides of it and they're going to be people crafting it. The second thing is not to get back on my usual bullshit here, but is this is just like a a the one millionth argument for why Democrats are at such a disadvantage when they rely on the traditional mm-hmm. political media to get their message out. Because of course, you're going to have reporters who feel a need to just both sides the shit out of it. You have one of the two cable networks who aired it live in the middle of an identity crisis where they're trying to appeal to billionaire Fox News viewing board members of their new company. And it's going to be stupid. And that, and we, and you had network, you know, the Disney Corporation, Comcast deciding whether to show the speech to their audiences. And so we're in the hands of this corporate media. And that's just, Republicans also have that challenge, but then they have this other apparatus to get their message out. And it is like the challenge for the White House here going forward is are they taking the core of that message and finding ways to get it? in front of their viewers in ways that don't depend on CNN, right? And so that yeah. that is always what is hard about this. And like, I know I, it's just, it's everything, but just, it's all confirmation bias for me with every every news story I write on that issue. But the, like, this was, I think, a pretty vivid example of one when, you know, he, the president goes out, gives a speech about a existential threat to our democracy. And then you have people having optics arguments about the use of Marine guards and I, color lighting yeah, and all I don't, that. I, and that it's all is stupid. just so I, I'm I, I'm all set with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying I'm saying for us, and this is the point you're making too, we're agreeing here, yeah. is that like we as messengers have to remember not to be lazy about the message and just to shorthand yeah. it as like, oh yeah, obviously Republicans are bad and crazy and extreme. Like, and if I were Joe Biden, you know, like you do an event where he can talk about how uh, seniors are going to pay less for prescription drugs for the first because Medicare is going to negotiate, uh, going to be able to negotiate directly with with the uh, drug companies for the first time. Meanwhile, uh, Blake Masters and a bunch of Republican candidates want to privatize Social Security and Medicare completely. Right. There's a choice. You go to uh, one of the states where some of the worst abortion bans are taking place. And you highlight those bands. You highlight the candidates who are behind those bands. You know, like I think you have to and I'm sure the White House is going to do this and other Democratic candidates to do this. But because we live in this this media environment, which is both noisy and both sidesy, you really got to be specific about the examples of the extremism and who the bad guys are here, which are the MAGA politicians and Donald Trump himself. And so I think that and that that just takes a lot more work in this media environment is the only issue, as you know. One very pedantic point is this Reuters point you mentioned, spelled it out, make America great again, Republicans. Mm. Do not do that, Democrats. Say MAGA, right? Do not repeat your opponent's chosen branding. It'll yeah, be right. like Bud Light referring to Miller Light as tastes great, less filling Miller Light. Do not do that, right? Just and again, say it's, MAGA. It's, it's, it's telling voters and telling voters who may have voted for Trump in 16 and then came over to Biden, right? Or voters who voting for the first time were on the fence. Like- these mega politicians, they don't fucking care about you. Again, there's there is no one who has more contempt for their own voters than Donald Trump and his mega politician allies. They don't care for them. They don't help them. They don't pass anything to improve their lives. They do not like them. And I think you have to try to separate those voters from the politicians who claim to represent them, but constantly screw them over, just like the right they screw over the rest of the country. So, all right, when we come back. We will talk to the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. 
Joining us now is the Democrat running to become the next senator from Pennsylvania. John Fetterman, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling and uh, and how's your recovery going? Uh, I'm feeling really great. And that that's the truth. Um, I uh, have been feeling really great uh, as I've had for quite a while and um, living my per- a normal life. Um, I'm walking miles and miles every day. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm picking up my kids at their activities. I'm going out with my wife. I'm driving everywhere. So the, the, the truth is, is that 999 out of a thousand people, you know, would have no idea that I just had a stroke and because I'm living a perfectly normal life. And now uh, you have uh, Dr. Oz, you know, out of you know, being, uh, you know, his, his situation uh, acting in a way that I don't believe uh, any doctor should be where they're kind of trying to mock and make fun of somebody that just, you know, had a stroke. And, and also I think that's a very, very uh, risky bet uh, here in, in Pennsylvania, because I go around and I ask people, it's like, hey, who's had a, a major health challenge in their lives? Or they have friends uh, and loved ones that have one. Mostly, most of the ones end up coming up. And I'm like, uh, well, I hope you don't have a doctor in your life um, mocking it and making fun of of your situation. Um, uh, but I do. I have a doctor in my life doing that. And just, <laughs> he happens to be some uh, weirdo uh, celebrity team. <laughs> yeah no one wants that kind of doctor in their life you said yesterday that you're looking forward to debating dr oz his campaign responded this morning and said you're lying you won't say where and when do you want to settle this here yeah it's it's just so funny we've always said from the beginning that that we're going to have a debate and it's just a matter of you know working out through some of the, the the technical issues as well too because that's the truth um, and we've been very transparent about that the entire in the entire time that sometimes I may not I miss something uh, because I have some auditory processing. And that, that's the truth. Um, and when I'm able to make sure I know exactly what's uh, heard or what we're, we're talking about, um, let's we're thrilled to be able to talk about these issues. And I really think there's a lot of issues he has that I don't think he wants to talk about, too. So, you know, we're going to have a debate. We've already acknowledged that always. And here after in, in uh, the meltdown, after the crudite uh, gate kind of thing, he's been uh, shrilling about, you know, debate, 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 even though that we all know that we're going to have a, a debate. And that's that's really the truth. Do you think it's fair you'll have something of a home field advantage because the debate will take place in Pennsylvania? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> here's a guy that has 10 homes that never had a home ever in Pennsylvania. Uh, and now is just really uh, a, a commuter. He's a commuter uh, <laughs> candidate. He's a commuter, uh, you know, and like I'd love to see what his EPZ, uh, you know, uh, are, his records, because I'm sure he's not spending a whole lot of time at, at his real house here in Pennsylvania. Um, it's actually not under, uh, you know, it's under uh, construction. But uh, the, the truth the truth is here is, is that um, Dr. Oz has a really, uh, he, he's got a, a tough, a, a tough cha- uh, challenge right now too, and that is to bring MAGA, MAGA into the into the fold. Because you, everywhere I go across in Pennsylvania, I run into a lot of Republicans that you come up to say hi and not uh, say, hey, you know, like I'm I'm a Republican and I'm going to vote for you though because you know Dr. Oz, he's a fraud or he's he's a weirdo. Um, he's <laughs> from here, he doesn't understand my life. And I'm like, well, one, say thank you, but it, it's it, it's it's really the the, the the truth. And 
there, there's two things here. There's supporters and then there's voters here. And I have never genuinely, and I'm not just trashing, uh, I'm not talking trash. Um, I have not run into anyone that come up to me and says, you know what, Dr. Oz is the best you know, candidate I've ever met in my life. Um, I've dreamed to, to vote for him. You know, I haven't everywhere. Uh, so the people that are going to vote for him are doing it just because they have an R after his name. You know, they're not, anyone really believes that he's the kind of person to, to, uh, uh, to re represent uh, Pennsylvania. So I have to ask, what was your reaction when you first saw the crudite video? First of all, I was like, hey, dude, you know, there is no place called uh, Wagner's, you know, and <laughs> And then uh, the next thing was, I was like, what the hell's a crudite? Like, I thought, I'm like, honestly, it's like a stroke, a stroke joke. I was like, did I, did I hear that? Right. You know, and, and I, I had to ask somebody, I was like, you know, what's that word? And, and uh, someone on the staff said, it's called a crudite and they texted it. And I was like, so then I, I, I Googled it and I was like, I'm like, okay. Um, and, and I just uh, laughed and, and I'm like, well, you know, uh, you learn everything in every election, and crudite is one of them. And um, what's really funny, too, is is that um, I tell people it's a joke uh, that I, I tell people that sometimes after the stroke, I will mush two words together that really don't exist. And I was like, Dr. Oz did the same thing. It's like he, you know, he heard of Wegmans, and he's actually in a red, uh, red nurse, so he called it Wegners, you know, and as a result, too, he does the same thing. You know, the Oz campaign has been pretty transparent that they're going to try to get their mojo back by going hard negative on you, particularly on crime. They attacked you for hiring two people who were wrongly convicted of murder. Tr crime has been their Republicans, quote unquote, Trump issue for the last couple of election cycles. How do you plan on fighting back? No, I, I you know, the, 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 how we, we fight back from it is really the, the our, our uh, record on, on crime here. As, as mayor for, for four times here in, in Pennsylvania, in, in Braddock, um, uh, I uh, stopped, I stopped um, gun violence and deaths uh, for five and a half years during the time. And that had never been uh, accomplished before or since then after um, I became Lieutenant Governor. And that was done by partnering with the police and partnering with the community. And we developed something very successful um, and I'm actually proud of it, you know, and that's something that Dr. Oz and his Gucci loafers has any idea of, of what crime is, except when you're talking about some of his associates or, or uh, those kind of people. Like, here's a guy that is pro-pardoning pro uh, the insurrectionists uh, in, from January 6th. But here's a guy now that is bashing us for uh, giving pardons for people that have some stupid weed charge as, as well, too. Um, and they are trying to scaremonger, and they're lying. I mean, that's really all they have. And the two people, uh, Lee and Dennis Horton, two people that roundly, roundly believe uh, that he's innocent. And these poor men uh, lost almost three decade, uh, decades of their life for something that they have not done. And as a result, I made making sure they getting out was one of the most important things I've ever done in my career. And we got them out. And I wanted to, to hire them because their story is important because that's really the truth about second chances. And that's the talk about our criminal justice system too. And now with those two men, the warden, the warden said, they men have no being here. You know, I hope they live next to me. I'm going to take them out to dinner um, and treat them after they get out. 
Um, they said they are the two finest men in the entire DOC right now. And uh, everyone unanimously agree with that. And, and Dr. Oz chose to kind of Horton. They tried mm -hmm. to Horton the Hortons. Um, and I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, it was never, you know, I, I absolutely understood, you know, uh, years ago that that, that was going to be weaponized. And, and of course, Dr. Oz, you know, I've chosen to do that. And he, of course, I think he's gotten blowback on that as well, too. Earlier this year, Dr. Oz ran a digital ad against you with a bong. You have made uh, legalization of marijuana a central part of your. I know, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Critics try to play me as like a, a Jeff Spicoli or that I'm just a stoner. And of course, I, I don't use marijuana. Um, and but but you should be able to do it legally. Uh, adults should be able to do it uh, as adults. And that's a freedom thing as well, too. And if South Dakota, if South Dakota can vote democratically to say, yes, let's do it, then, you know, really how controversial really is that? Uh, for anybody, you know, in in one of the reddest state in the country is 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 on board with it. And again, I ran on that because I know it's to be the truth. And I run that on for a lot of different issues. One, to stop people, you know, having their lives ruined by a, a charge. I'm also talking about their revenue. You know, I'd rather have it come to Pennsylvania Treasury than the cartels. And I would want to make sure that it's now a pure product too. Uh, instead of God knows you know where it is and, and where it comes from. Dr. Oz was recently caught on a, a hot mic calling abortion murder. He's now trying to say that he doesn't want to criminalize all abortions. What, what, should, uh, what should voters know about Dr. Oz's position here? Voters need to understand that Dr. Oz doesn't know what he really thinks. Do Dr. Oz has changed a different uh, position uh, everywhere he is. And, but the truth is, is that Dr. Oz would vote down and he is believes that the choice for women belong with him, not 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 women in Pennsylvania and in the nation as well too. And I have been my entire career standing with and fighting for abortion rights. It's a basic, it's a basic, very uh, simple choice as well too. Do Dr. Oz will fight to make sure that it's ending, and I am going to spend my career fighting to make sure that it is there because. It, it was already a settled issue for over 50 years, and it's absolutely bizarre to me that that uh, a man is willing to say one thing depending on what uh, audience he's in front of, and people don't realize that all he does is lie. And how can you believe, truly, truly, and I'm not saying this you know, to be a partisan, how do you believe anything out of any person that was willing to sell magic diet pills on TV so much that he was fined $5 million having to pay as a result in as a settlement too. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, that, you know, I, I make the joke about if anyone gets the, the reference, Joe Isuzu, you know, where like, hi, he's talking and everything he's saying is a lie. And it's like, you know, it's the line. You know, how do we know Dr. Oz is lying about anything? It's like, well, he's talking. So, <laughs> so I, I recently sat down with a, uh, a focus group of Biden voters in Pittsburgh and they're disgusted with politics. They don't follow it closely. They don't know if they're going to vote in November. They uh, they seem to like you. They seem to not love Dr. Oz, but they are still not sure they were going to vote. Like, how do you reach voters like that? And what do you say in this in this home stretch? I, I'm just going to try to reach out to them by just being who I am and running on what I really believe in and running on the right side of all these issues too. 
uh, and I've always you know, want people to understand that we understand the kind of lives that you have. Uh, I understand what Pennsylvania really is about, and I've spent my career working here to, to make a community, especially one like Braddock that is, is facing some of the most severe cha challenges you know any community has here in Pennsylvania. Versus if you genuinely believe I, to having an individual that, that has, you know, 10 gigantic mansions um, in different counties uh, all over here, really not one in Pennsylvania, uh, that doesn't stand for anything and has made a career of lying on television. It, you know, I, uh, I just believe it's self-evident uh, that you have somebody that is unfit to, to be in the Senate. Um, that's really that's really a choice there. From afar, your campaign feels very different than the typical Democratic campaign. It feels more fun, more aggressive, more bold. Yeah. How's that working? What you know? How are you making that happen? Is that is that the right assessment of your campaign? Yeah. Well, I I believe that we're running on the right side of, of the truth too. I mean, that's that that's the truth too. And you know, arguing things like the minimum wage or the union way of life or. Uh, you know, healthcare, especially my, my person situation, uh, really personal, um, that makes it easy. But we also want to be fun, too, because uh, often Dr. Oz gives us the gift of being Dr. <laughs> Oz to, to provide us with ample type of material to, to work with, too. And we've never run like an oppo kind of, of campaign. It, 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 it's just like pointing out that Dr. Dr. Oz lives in, in a gigantic mansion in, in New Jersey that he lives in. You know, it wasn't me saying that. That was P, uh, People Magazine that had the, come on in. Hey, <laughs> and I didn't fill him, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, film him um, undercover, uh, watching him go into a grocery store, you know, talking about crudités <laughs> in, in, in Wagner's. He actually, th their team slapped that down and was like, you know what, Dr. Oz, that, that's good. Though. Let's, let's send that one out. Um, it's own material, and and we we're, we've never run a, a nasty or mean kind of campaign. True, um, we've only talked about the truths. And you know, I you know, if you ever wondered what was Dr. Oz's position on incest, you know, I didn't I didn't make up lies about that. It's like, oh wait, it turns out there is there is a, 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 an interview with him pointing out that incest. Okay, okay, pump. Pump the brakes on the first cousins, but everything else, you know, <laughs> it, it says, you know, and I can't make it up, but pointing out who he is and what his record is, is not mean. And it's not mon, uh, excuse me. It's not uh, fear mongering um, the way he has chosen to attack me or even very, very personally about my health. Uh, it's really just talking about, you know, who he really is about. Finally, and least importantly, uh, the NFL season starts tonight. As I understand it, you're a huge Steelers fan. I think you once made Jake Tapper wear an Eagles mask. Um, so two questions. How are you feeling about the Steelers? But also, in order to win, if I do my electoral math correctly, you need a lot of Eagles voters to turn out for you. So are you getting some sort of peace offering? How are you going to square the circle there? Yeah, no, I, I've always I've always. I've always run on the truth here in Pennsylvania. One, Sheets is better than Wawa. Uh, <laughs> and I also know that the Steelers is the best team, you know. Um, and, you know, it, I think voters really understand the truth, too. Uh, so, and, and uh, that, that's, that's, that's the truth here. They, the, these are very important issues here, especially in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, they, uh, you know, the, the Steelers 
Dr. Oz doesn't even understand any of them. I can't even imagine what he would come down on other than saying, I sure hope the, the team wins, uh, whatever. He just doesn't have any idea what they're talking about. Yeah. I'm sure he roots for the Steagles. <laughs> the Steagles. Yeah, the Steagles. Yeah, the Steagles. Or, or, uh, yeah, but but that, that's that's the, the, the truth. And when, when you think about Pennsylvania, you think about, you know, I mean, Friday Night Lights. You know, that is absolutely sacred here in, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, I don't think a single person, you know, in, in the bleachers watching, you know, high school football here in, in, in Pennsylvania is thinking about, I really think Dr. Oz really could relate to the kind of life and things that are that mean to me. Um, and that's the kind of campaign that we're going to continue to run for the next 60 days is talking about the truth and talking about running on our record, especially like crime, especially where he believes that he can weaponize my uh, my record and, and lie about that. But uh, I feel really good. And that's the kind of campaign we're going to continue to run. Well, that is good to hear. Uh, it was good to have you here. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Um, John Fetterman, take care. No, no, I appreciate all of you. Thank you. Big, big fans. And thank you for the work that you all do, too. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you more again. And thanks again for having me. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and Haley Muse. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.